Samuel chapter 13. In chapter 12 we have the warning, one might say the dire warning, given by Shmuel to the people. Very accusatory. You have sinned in asking for a king. But he ends by saying, but don't worry, I still will continue to pray for you. And now in chapter 13 and chapter 14, we have a description of the battle of Shaul and Israel against the Plishtim, against the Philistines. It begins by saying that uh, Saul was, uh, it's not clear, Ben Shanash, Ben Malcho, it sounds like this is the first year of his reign, and he reigned for two years, which seems to be contradicted by the entire story. There's no sense that King Saul was a king for two years. In any event, in narrative time, he's a king for much longer. But leave that verse out, and now we plunge into the story of the great battle of Saul and Israel against the Philistines in chapters 13 and 14. It begins by saying, So the chapter begins by, by saying that Saul has a standing army of 3,000 men, 2,000 of whom are with him, and 1,000 are with Jonathan, Yonatan. It's interesting that the book of Samuel has not mentioned Yonatan's name till now. We have no idea, presumably, someone who's reading the book for the first time has no idea who Yonatan is. It's not the first time we encounter such a phenomenon. We have a similar thing in the Torah, in chapter 17, when Israel was attacked by Amalek. And Moses said to Joshua, choose people and go out and fight Amalek. But we don't know who Joshua is. Because Joshua has never been mentioned in the Torah prior to Exodus chapter 17. So it's a very interesting phenomenon. We have it here as well. Perhaps later we'll remark about this. But in any event, there's a standing army of 3,000. Everybody else is sent back to their place. So it's a small standing army. And now in verse 3, Vayach Yonatan et Nitziv Pushtim Hashem Jonathan struck down a Philistine garrison in Geva. The Philistines heard about it, and Saul sounds the shofar, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. The term for the Jews in chapter 13, verse number 3, is Ivrim. Now, Ivrim often is a term related to the word Aver from the other side, Ivrim often is how others see you. In this particular case, though, Ivrim is significant for a different reason, and that is in the ensuing battle, one might say prior to the ensuing battle, when the Philistines muster their army. And in verse 5, for example, it says, The Philistines have gathered to fight against Israel, 30,000 chariots, an enormous number of chariots, and a troops as numerous as the sands of the seashore, 
So the Philistines have mustered a gigantic army with all kinds of chariots. And the storyteller, the book of Samuel, leaves out at this point a very important piece of information that we only discover at the end of the chapter, a rather startling fact. But we're told first, in verse number 6, V'ish Yisrael ra'u ki tzarlo, ki nigasa am, in short, the Israelites saw they were in trouble. The troops were hard-pressed. And what do they do? They hide in caves, among thorns, rocks, tunnels, and cisterns. And not only that, the Ivrim of Ruatayadem. Here we have the word Ivrim from La'avar to cross over. And the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan. In short, they desert. They go to Eretz God v'Gilad, v'Shaul Odenu Bar Gilgal, v'Chol Am Chardu Acharav. Saul remained in Gilgal, and the people Chardu Acharav, Charad, Charada is fear, suggesting even those who are with him are frightened. So the army is small, people are deserting. Saul is waiting in Gilgal, and meanwhile the Philistines on the other side have an enormous army. Now the story takes place in Gilgal, and we are reminded of the fact that in chapter 10, verse number 8, Samuel said to Saul, after he mentioned to Saul the signs and the the things that Saul will encounter, and Samuel said, after the signs come true, do what you wish. And in the next verse, in verse 8, he said, and then you will go down to Gilgal, wait for me for seven days, I'm going to go down to you to bring sacrifices, two types, burnt offerings and goodwill offerings. Wait for me for seven days. And I will tell you what to do. So it sounds like initially do what you wish. Probably that's related to the story in chapter 11 of fighting against Nachash. There he doesn't ask permission from Saul. There he simply goes to war. But when it comes to the other battle, our chapter, the battle against the Philistines, the main purpose Saul was chosen as king, there you wait for seven days, I will bring the sacrifice, I will tell you what to do. So Saul is in Gilgal. He's waiting. And now back to our chapter, chapter 13, verse 8. Vayachel shivat yamim Saul waited the seven days that Samuel had set. But Samuel does not come. We don't know why. And the people began to desert. They're already crossing over to the other side. They're already hiding. And now we have desertion. So Saul said, Bring to me the burnt offering and the goodwill offering. He brought the first of the two offerings, the Olah. And of course, the moment he brings the Olah, Samuel shows up. Ten minutes late, half an hour late. After the first sacrifice has been brought. And Saul goes out to greet him and to bless him. 
we have an interesting reversal of roles. Recall that when Saul first meets Samuel and he asks the young girls at the well, where is the seer? Oh, the seer is coming to town. He's bringing sacrifices. He blesses the sacrifice. And then those who are invited eat. So the role of the seer, the roel, which is Samuel, is but here the bracha is given by Saul to Samuel. Saul goes out to greet him and to bless him. Samuel says, what have you done? The people were deserting. And you didn't come at the appointed time. And the Philistines are gathering their troops. I said, the Philistines will now attack in Gilgal. I have not entreated God. For at Apak, I restrained myself. For Allah, I brought the sacrifice. In other words, you didn't come, which is true. You didn't come on time. You got delayed. We don't know why. I felt I had to bring the sacrifice. So instead of you bringing the sacrifice, I brought the sacrifice. So Samuel's response is, Samuel said to Saul, You have been foolish. You did not obey the commandment of God, God who commanded you. God would have established your kingship forever. But now your kingship will not be successful, will not stand. God seeks a ruler after God's own heart. And God would command such a person as ruler over God's people. God will seek somebody else, is what Samuel is saying. God doesn't want you because you don't follow the commandments of God. So here, it's actually very interesting we don't know of the, what commandment Samuel is talking about. Presumably he means that what Samuel said to Saul to wait is construed by Samuel as the commandment of God. There was no explicit commandment. Secondly, we have to wonder why the failure to follow Samuel's dictates, and it would appear he did wait for seven days, is such a grievous crime that the fact that he brought the first of the two sacrifices is reason for Samuel to say, you will not succeed, you will fail. God will seek somebody else who understands God, who follows God appropriately. We also don't know why Samuel, in fact, came late. Was he delayed? The train came late? Or is it on purpose? He's coming late on purpose in an attempt, perhaps, to undercut the king, to destroy Saul's kingship, we know, of course, that Samuel is very opposed to kingship. Having said all this, there are two other points that are important at this juncture. First of all, Saul's assumption that the reason for the sacrifice is in order to entreat God prior to war. Someone has to entreat God prior to war through the means of sacrifice. That is not clear that that was actually the thinking of Samuel.
Perhaps the thinking of Samuel is something very different, which is that we do find in the Bible, at least on two occasions in the Torah, where sacrifice is preliminary to prophecy. We have this with Bilam. He brings sacrifices in order to help bring on the prophecy. And we have it with Yaakov going down to Egypt. When Yaakov brings sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac, and then God appears to Jacob in a vision. Perhaps it was not about sacrifice per se. Perhaps it was related to the prophet saying, let me prophesy and tell you and give you the instructions and tell you what to do. And the second point is, and this is a very important point in the book, the presumption that if you have a small number of people, you can't defeat the larger group, which is a perfectly logical assumption, is not an assumption that the book of Samuel accepts. The book of Samuel has quite the opposite idea. If God is with you, the numbers don't matter. And if God is not with you, the numbers don't matter either. The size of your army will not be sufficient to win the war. So we have to address this question as well. Saul's basic thinking, Saul's basic concern about the numbers, how does the book of Shmuel, how does the book of Samuel understand that concern?